0: Welcome everybody to this new season of terror talk with Shannon and Kathy. Woohoo! Ooh. Woohoo! Here we are. Welcome to September. <laughs> and we're still sweating to death because mm-hmm. we're in California during a heat wave. So that's a little bit about what's going on in our world at the moment. But today on the show, we are going to start a series on Jim Jones. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And so what is going to happen with this series is this. Today, I'm going to start by explicating and laying out a bunch of information about his parents, actually, and how they grew up and how they met and their pathology, because to know the man is to know his parents. So that is absolutely in our world, in our profession. I believe it's one of those things that's really great to know, to work with someone to understand Mm -hmm. their pathology to profile them you know if you want to go forensic it's really helpful to not only know the crimes and the victimology and all of that which we will get to eventually but to know the family and the culture and the mores that he grew up in i think what I found in this research, Kathy, honestly, is I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. This this little moment or this little thing about his mom or whatever, that makes complete sure. sense to me that I'll, knowing, you know, like just so much of his personhood came together for me. And I know that this is a, a case that a person, I should say, and a happening and a cultural trauma that happened a long time ago in the 70s. What people knew of Jim Jones internationally and nationally happened in the 70s because everybody remembers Guyana and the tragedy there. I know it was a long time ago and I know there has been a lot of retreading over all of these. Most of these people that we talk about and do series on, there's just been a lot. My goal with this series on Jim Jones is to dig a little bit deeper, talk a little bit more psychology than the average bear, as we do on the show always, even mm-hmm. with our horror shows, that's, that's what we do, is we're both therapists and psychologists, and we talk about dynamics and, and family and people and fear and terror in a way that is unique, and so... Let's begin, shall we? We shall. I'm excited so for this. We are located in, I believe it's pronounced Crete, Indiana. C-R-E-T-E, Indiana. So let's begin with Jim's parents. This is important, right? Mom's name was Lynetta. Lynetta Putnam-Jones. She was actually born in the early 1900s. not. What's funny about this is it's like, there's no birth records, and throughout her lifetime, as you will come to realize, she was a fabricator. So she told a lot of fictions. In one thing, her birth year was 02, and then 04, and then 08, and so not exactly sure where she was on that. What I can tell you, and I'm going to go into some extra bonus material for our patrons on Patreon, so if you're interested in having more content from us and being a part of our community check out our patreon but what i can tell you is that on her gravestone let's just go with that shall we we shall on her gravestone it says she was born april sixteenth, nineteen 1902 in princeton gibson county indiana so we'll just go with that okay Later in life, when she was married to John Henry Jones, who was the mother of Jimmy Jones or Jim Jones, as we know him, she would tell people that she grew up privileged. She only married once and she was horribly mistreated by her husband. She reformed a prison. She unionized the local plant workers and raised the greatest son who was actually more of a God than human, but only because of his phenomenal mother. So almost all of that is a lie. Mm -hmm. We know the part about Jim Jones not being a god. So we know that part. But all the other things are lies, too. What's true is that she was born to Jesse and Mary Putnam. Those birth years and places have been disputed because there were no records. So whatever's on her gravestone, which is what I was reading, was just what whoever dealt with her burial wrote on it. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was always kind of tinkering with her name. I think she was born Lunette, like L-U-N-E-T-T, something like that. And then it was Lynette, and then I think she finally s- decided on Lynetta. Okay. And I give you the I every detail that I offer ends up playing out in the story, honestly, because later on, the fact that people would get her name wrong and call her different things is actually just part of what happens for her in life, and. Mm-hmm she has interesting reactions to that. And so it just plays into her psychology. So she, if you asked her, she described her youth as pretty as the first dawn. Mm. And because of her darker skin, she would say that she was Indian, but there are no records indicating she was Indian. And because of her pension for fabrication, her partially written memoirs and what she said about herself is, is pretty hard to be believed. And again, part of the extra material is I have a lot of her writings and I have a lot of her poetry and I have a lot of all of that. So we can dig a little bit deeper in, you know, many casts for Patreon uh, about with her because there's a lot there. She was actually in Jonestown. She went to Guyana. She was one of only about six people that died at Guyana before the mass mm. uh, slaughter of his followers. So she died Of natural causes, et cetera, as far as I know, but we'll get to that later. To the end, she was there with her son. Wow. So it's important to know that. Yep. Yep. What is apparently known is that when she was a teen... There isn't a lot about her childhood. I don't know a lot about her childhood. And because she was such a fabricator, it's hard to believe anything she says, right? So we have all these writings and all this information, her memoirs and all this. But you can tell when you read them, there's a lot of (laughs) vitriol, so to speak, you know. So it's very, uh, you kind of just don't believe a lot of it. But as we know, with any kind of fabricator, uh, because her son was too part of it's true and mm-hmm. then they expound on things and make them fabrication sure. and you just don't know which piece partial are true. truths exactly they're very good at that oh yes yeah. so and the memoirs are in in line with that they are partially written <laughs> yeah even though she always considered herself to be a writer she never. She only partially wrote her memoirs. But what is known is that apparently when she was a teenager, they had no money and she had no money to survive and pretty much took the traditional route to survival. You know, she married her first husband, who was Cecil. So again, was married multiple times. She married her first husband, Cecil, and she was still in her teens, 16, 18, something like that. Again, the reason for the vagueness on her age is because of that vagueness about her birth records Mm -hmm. so when i give a range that's why okay (laughs) that marriage lasted two years during which she enrolled actually in agricultural college but dropped out after divorcing because the reason why the way she was surviving was to get married and that's what i mean this is the turn of the century like 1920 or something you know this is 1920s in the midwest of america so the women you think about the rights that women have the none right at that time so the traditional route to survival was to get married right and then have your husband who could work and vote and do all the things you know that we weren't allowed to do then to take care of you and and there's no i don't have any judgment about that that's just the way society was was. that's just what it was so we're not (laughs) going to dispute what was true We could feel all types of way about that. But Mm -hmm. so she was just trying to survive. So still in her teens, she gets married to this guy. But then when they get divorced two years later and she's in agricultural college, she can't pay for it anymore. Mm -hmm. So she drops out. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, she tries again and she gets married to this guy named Elmer. But that marriage only lasts three days. You know, she tried to take business courses, but without any money, she actually just had to go back to work. She had to work. So as a young person in 1920s Midwest, what do you do? You go to work for a factory. It's really the only job that she was, I don't want to say qualified, but it's an entry-level position, and that's what a lot of people did, and they were farming and factory communities. That's yeah, what was accessible to her. Yeah, exactly. And she had to go back to work because the marriages weren't working out, so that, that partnership or that teaming of money and being taken care of wasn't really working out for her. So we're sort of seeing her relationships are not super stable by this time though her father had already died and her mother actually came to live with her so she's in her 20s working at a factory and her ailing mother comes to live with her which again culturally was very common but then died in 1925 she let's say she was born in 1902 1925 she's what 23 years old and both her parents are dead she then also takes a job as a secretary, which is like another low paying job. This is after kind of taking care of her mom until she died and then she goes back to work again and She ended up with a lung condition that landed her in a sanitarium. It was that serious, and it's assumed i don't I don't have records of this, but it's assumed that it was because she had tuberculosis because it's 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 speculated that that's what her mom died of, mm-hmm. and so she was taking close care of her and so It's highly contagious, especially then. Sure. It is now. We still get TB tests and stuff when we work in inpatients. Then, forget about it, it took you right out. But it was assumed she had that, and she went to the sanitarium, but then she got better. Now, her characterization of this is that she was a top aide at the company that she worked at. (laughs) She was a secretary. (laughs) I was a secretary, but then I became a top aide. And, you know, because I had spiritual and intellectual gifts. Self-assigned. She She wanted to, you know, realize her full potential because she had a lot of potential. Sounds like everybody else did, too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder where he got it from. Okay. A year later. So again, I don't know, 24, 25, something like that. A year later, she marries again. And this time she marries James Thurman Jones. This is Jimmy's. Jim Jones is his father. James Thurman Jones was born in October 1887 and was one of 12 children born in a very poor farm family. Jim Sr. is what I'm going to call him. Because even though, you know, it, I see like John, the name John, I see the name Jim or whatever. We're going to call Jim Jones's dad, Jim Sr., cuz otherwise we're going to get super confused. <laughs> Jimmy and Jim and every time I say Jim I don't want it to you guys to think that I'm talking about Jim Jones. So Jim senior born to John Henry Jones, he ha- who was his father, right? So grandpa, Jim Jones's grandpa had extensive farmland. This is all going to be important as we as we go through the story, but he had extensive farmland holdings in Randolph County, Indiana. He was a Democrat in a Republican region, so he was an outlier, but he was also rich. He was a Quaker and he had 13 children from two marriages. This is grandpa. And the majority of his children went to college and quote unquote, made something of themselves becoming managers, owners, teachers, like a lot of them had their own businesses. Those who didn't go to college ended up having some kind of business. There was like a foster family business. There was uh Rite Aid, what we would know as like a drugstore business, there's all kinds of businesses. And then other people went to college and became teachers and managers and companies and things. So he had a lot of success with these 13 children, except for only two fell short of Grandpa Jones's expectations, Billy, who took up with a bad crowd and ended up drinking and gambling his life away, and Jim Senior, who's Jim Jones's dad. So a little bit of a disappointment in his gigantic oh, yeah. family of origin. Oh, yeah. Right? We have mom, Jim Jones's mom, who's got some buddy, budding personality stuff going on. And we've got Jim Sr., who was a little less than in his pretty wealthy, probably for the time, maybe like middle class or upper middle class owned a lot of land in that area. And, uh, and grandpa Jones had a lot of expectations for all these people and he paid for those colleges and he paid to help his kids have businesses and everything. But they had had one kid who was, who ended up, you know, drinking and gambling. And then he had Jim senior who ended up actually going off to war, even though he'd always disappointed his father Basically, it seems as if because he had no ambition, and all of the other kids did, they all wanted to like make something of themselves, and he seemingly didn't have any ambition, and he wasn't interested in higher education, so that was a thing. He did end up, as far as I read, he did end up graduating from high school, but like... He didn't want to go any, he was very handy and he preferred working with his hands and doing trades and that's going to play out over his lifetime a little bit. So he always had steady work because automobiles were coming around mm-hmm. in that time, right? So he was working on automobiles. He was building stuff. Factory he was, work. Yeah, he was, he had really steady work working. There was a lot of trains going through this area of Indiana, so he would he would do road work. Road cruise is what they called him. There was just a lot of stuff to do for him, so he had pretty regular work. And he also, the other interesting thing about him that was very much expected at the time was that he also didn't marry as a young mm-hmm. man. Most people did. He, In other words, he showed no ambition in all the areas. Like He didn't have an ambition to get married, to couple, to have kids, none of that. At 30 years old... When World War I had already begun, he enlists, which is like, okay. It was a bit of a surprise to everyone who knew him because these are small towns. So everyone in the town knew him. They knew him as a kid. They knew the family because the family owned all of this land and had all these businesses and all these kids. So they were everywhere. And so everybody was a bit surprised because this showed a little ambition, it showed mm-hmm. a little something something going on. So World War 1 had already begun and he was immediately of course sent to the front lines in France and he was promptly caught in a German attack and the vapors burned you know deep into his lungs. Mm. And he was shipped home with a very serious lung condition. He had difficulty breathing. His voice was forever a raspy croak. And he was actually, especially in the beginning, very hard to understand when he spoke. So communication became very difficult. He had lung issues and breathing issues. He was a disabled vet and one of about 70,000 Americans who incurred these kinds of conditions from being gassed specifically, as you guys who are w- World War I buffs, and I am certainly not, you'll know that. So he had a military pension that I believe was about 30 bucks a month, something like that. So it wasn't enough, but it was something. So he came home and he returned to work on these road crews, but he had rheumatism and he was lonely, and he was in pain. You know, he's still he's still single, right? He's in a lot of pain, and, and his health is failing, and he can't communicate very well, but he's still got to go to work because the money just, you know, he's got to live. That's when he meets Lynette, Jim Jones's mother, who was about 17 years younger than him. Oh, wow. She was outgoing, and I imagine a shiny, bright thing to him. Like, young and... Oh, yeah full of personality and ambition, like exactly what he wasn't. I was going to say, it's
1: before you got to this point, I was thinking this whole time you were talking about, it's interesting how, what she saw in him, because she was so grandiose and caught up in how people perceived her, and then
0: to, you know, be with... Right, and I'm just about to say that. That's perfect. That's a perfect intro to this. So, Lynette's mother had died, you know, one year prior. She was alone in the world. And... She assumed she was marrying into a prominent Indiana family, as one would do possibly with her personality traits, is she was seeing it in the whole, right, and not the man. She was seeing that as this is a prominent family that everybody knows about. Makes sense. But she's marrying this man in the family. This but man get, But
1: she gets the identity of exactly. the family. That's the what name, she assumed. Right. That's
0: what she assumed. That's what she thought was going to happen, is that one, she's always married for survival, not for love. And I'm not sure that was really de rigueur of the time. I was gonna say
1: I don't think that was super uncommon at that time. You
0: know, in this in this day and age we talk a lot about love and soulmates and all that stuff, but like that's really a convention of modern society that that wasn't that wasn't yeah, they didn't and have people- the internet they didn't have media they didn't have tvs right you know they had the local newspaper and what their culture suggested so
1: well life so much about life at that time was about survival even agriculture to have kids was to have labor
0: exactly exactly and that's why it's like oh this person doesn't want a couple doesn't want to have kids like he just wants to go to the war and do whatever he does and then he comes back really injured you could see her perspective you'll know throughout this the longer version of all these stories i'm going to tell you about jim jones over the course of the next few months because she's a fabricator she fabricates it in her own mind too she assumed that she was marrying into this family and what i've told you guys is that he was one of you know one of 13 children and he's only one of two that really sort of quote unquote couldn't make anything of himself in that family in other words she was marrying the one person in that family that actually couldn't give her exactly what she thought she was getting so you can imagine what happens later which we'll get to at some point so although Jim senior's dad did give them a down payment on a small farm to live on. Cause he kind of did those kinds of things for all his kids. That was the end of his assistance. He had more finances to give, even though he was older and he'd sold off land and he'd helped all these kids through school and stuff. He did have more money, but he just d- didn't give it to them. He gave him a down payment on a small farm. And that was that. And that was, you know, also not what Lynette was <laughs> after. So, of course, Lynetta had lied about her ability, also had lied about her ability to farm and deal with animals and stuff, even though she'd been to agricultural school for a minute, which I'm sure she was like, oh, yes, I'm great with, you can imagine her in the family get-togethers, Oh God, creating all sorts of like, oh, yes, I'm fantastic with farms and animals. I'm the Queen of England, too. I am so fabulous, and Mm -hmm. I would be an expert member (laughs) of your family, and I would have all of this to offer, and you should accept me and love me. but of course she really had no experience with it so they get this farm so even though her new husband had a little bit more experience on farms obviously because of his family they had very little money because all they got was his down payment it's not like she came with any money and there was no dowry as we talk about like there was none of that so he had to go back to work on cruise as this vet It's this injured vet with most likely with post-traumatic stress disorder, but they didn't have that diagnosis. Then the DSM didn't even exist. And he's got all these health conditions. He went back to work and what ended up happening was that then he was never home because he was out on these road crews for days at a time. And there she is married into this supposed lovely family, all alone working as a secretary. Her guy's never home. Lynette had to run this farm. That she <laughs> that she doesn't know how to run, that she conned her way into, and he's gone, and she's got no help. I mean, I simultaneously feel for her mm-hmm. and understand where her personality was coming from and the damage that it did ultimately in the long run, but... So what happens? She's got to run this farm all by herself. She becomes exhausted and frustrated and it's not the life she saw for herself. She saw herself as much more special Mm -hmm. and she became more and more resentful. Like it just started up all of the resentment that you can imagine would have happened. John senior, you know, he would be coming home tired. He was easily tired because of his physical issues and all the stuff he came home from war with. He couldn't communicate because of his voice and he was in failing health, so Lynetta was really alone. She was in this town called Crete. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Crete, and then we will adjourn for today, and I will tell you another story about Jim Jones next week. So, so she was in this town entitled Crete. Now, Crete, Indiana, had a population of 28. 28. 28. So Jim Jones' birthplace is often talked about as Lynn, Indiana, but it actually wasn't. It was, which is what I figured out during this research. It was, and it's still all over the internet as his, like Wikipedia and everybody says like Lynn, Indiana, but he was actually, and I haven't even gotten to his birth yet, but he was actually born in this town. And now granted it's close to Lynn, but Lynn is much bigger. In this town, there was a train that passed by loading grain. There was a handful of farms, and there was a grain elevator. It was literally a place where people passed through on this train. This was a town where people lived off of their land. They picked wild fruit, they hustled coal from the ground after the trains would drop it. You know, the coal trains would go by and coal would come flying off of the trains and they would grab it because they needed it to heat their stoves and to work on their farms. And they would pick wild fruit to feed their families and they would grow their food. You can imagine how Lynetta didn't really fit in because she didn't know how to run a farm. She didn't know how to grow a stick of grass, much less food for her family. So the meals were sparse. She was exhausted. She was resentful. She always wanted more for herself. She was isolated from the handful of people that did frequent the area and they were there but she would alienate herself from them by smoking in public cussing whenever she wanted wearing pants like all that is to us is like of course she could do all those things no 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 <laughs> no no <laughs> this is farming community in the 1920s and 30s like no no and this is the 1920s still so she would further alienate herself And then think it was amusing that people thought her cussing was amusing. So she's in this Quaker community just being herself, Mm -hmm. which was purposely antagonistic. Sure. We all get to be ourselves, but you don't go into communities where you want to not be isolated and lonely and then further alienate yourself by on purpose and enjoying being different or eccentric, right? She always needed to be different. Yep. She just needed to be different. I'm not talking about those of us who want need to be ourselves and lean into who we are and accept ourselves and all the you know self 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 mm-hmm. stuff that we do in our community in our communities and in our culture and on the internet these days where we're all consumed with self-care and being ourselves and doing all that. I'm not talking about that. At some point you have you there is a survival technique of fitting mm-hmm. into your community. Of course. Safety. Yes. And we all still do that, not just in the 1920s, but just do it in different ways. But she always had to be different, and she would register her complaints loudly. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so
1: this whole persona that yeah. you're yep. discussing. It's like when we think about how environment forms personality, right? To a degree, I mean, of course, excluding psychopaths here. Mm-hmm. Just her trajectory of like really having to be a chameleon to feel safe, right? To get those needs met, and how in the process of that, she never really developed a self. No. And we know, and we've talked about in so many different episodes, what happens when there's either a, a fragmented sense of self or a lack of identity that's been developed. And when someone is functioning that way, they are just constantly in reactivity mode. There's nothing they're doing that is proactive. Everything is reactive. Mm -hmm. And when we know, because we've talked about narcissism so much on the show that when we're talking about narcissism, that it's really like one big defense mechanism walking through the world. I think of like, like a knight in armor, right? Except they're not not typically heroes. And (laughs) they um, cast themselves that way, don't they? They very much do. (laughs) And how much of what, you know, people have asked me before, well, they, they know what they're doing, right? I said, well, they, they understand to a degree, they just don't always understand their motivation for it, because they do see themselves as victims. Or your reaction to it. Or your reaction to it. So, you know, it's really interesting to just, we're looking at this just psychologically, not do we blame or do we not blame her just strictly from a practitioner mm-hmm. place of like, she really constructed her life in a way that she was just trying to survive. And in the process of that, destroying her own life and mm. becoming more maladaptive mm-hmm. because of it. And I'm just interested to hear how this, you know, forms into them having their child and everything, but I just kind of want to like take a moment and yep. name that, I guess.
0: Yeah. So what I take away from this so far, and we're going to continue with this next week and on into the future as we build this psychological story of Jim Jones, is that his mother was a fabricator. She needed things to look better than they were, and she would say that things were better than they were until the day she died. So she needed to live that fiction. There's a narcissistic wound there Mm -hmm. that happened somewhere. Usually narcissistic wounds happen very, very early in childhood. They're usually Mm pre-verbal. So that's why narcissism is so difficult to target in therapy and in, in our work, usually until they hit middle age and start to break down and... Because it's usually pre-verbal and so the person has no way to talk about those injuries because they happened before consciousness led to verbal acuity and so reflection is often difficult with those injuries and so we as therapists have a difficult time helping them reflect and understand self because they don't they remember the injuries. They can't. <laughs> I mean, one of the quintessential <laughs> things we know is a lack of self-reflection and accountability. And that's why. And that's why. I just want to throw that out there and have you guys understand who his mother was and we understand how important mothers are and there'll be a little bit more about her next time. There'll be more about him. We'll get to Jim Jones's birth and and on and on we go. And the way we're going to approach this, the way I've decided to approach this honestly is to go into this in a deep way like we did today. Really explicate who they are, what happened, and I'm going to do the same thing when we get to Jim because all his early childhood, his teens, his adulthood, and on and on and on that all led up to this Guyana tragedy and Jim Jones in Jonestown. There's so much that we will know about him and his origin and all of his actions along the way that by the time we get to that, I believe that the story will be rich and understood in a deep and meaningful way if you decide to take that journey with us so i hope you enjoyed this and this is the first episode of our jim jones explication i don't know what you want to call it our true crime psychology series on jim jones so we hope you enjoyed it this has been an episode of terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone